Jose Molina. Hello. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. The man who has written for, I think, every show ever Everything. created. Starting with the Partridge family <laughs> uh, and uh, little Marcus Welby, MD, in the 70s. Uh, you know, I'm old. And before we go any further, I just want to say the first 20 minutes of this episode will be available for free on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher is. Uh, if you want to hear the full episode, head on over to patreon.com slash wordtetris and sign up for the $1 in episode tier. You'll get the full episode with Jose Molina. If you want to hear uh, that plus a bonus episode, sign up for the $3 in episode tier and uh, you'll get access to a bonus episode that comes out the day after this episode is airing. Uh, so anyway, I wrote a set of lists at the beginning of January mm-hmm. for Forbes. And... The there one of the lists was how do you get that job by the way how do you yeah it was literally well one it 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 was literally of there's a guy named Scott Mendelson who who writes a lot of film reviews very good very talented and there was a day where I used well one I used to write blogs on his old site before he got called up for Forbes okay but basically there was a day I wrote for Screen Invasion. It was an article written that it was this because Sleepy Hollow and The Blacklist came out the same season. Uh huh. Sure. And did. I wrote an article basically saying, in my opinion, these shows are the backlash. It's backlash isn't isn't always a bad thing. It's backlash to Breaking Bad of having spent half a decade with morally ambiguous characters. Uh huh. And there was something about The Blacklist and Sleepy Hollow where, where they became such huge hits out of, out of the gate. You could, I could argue you, can, you could attribute The Blacklist to Spader. Right. But I don't know what you attribute Sleepy Hollow to. So, yeah, I, I don't either. So my argument was that... Other I think, than our amazing talent right. as writers that, my, <laughs> my, that, that, that made that pilot uh, a huge hit out of the gate. My argument, my argument is that those people, those characters, you know who they are. They aren't ambiguous. Right. So I think the audience kind of wanted that. So I wrote that. Scott sent it to Forbes. And then Forbes called me and was like, do you want to do, do you want to write for us? Now, the the thing is, and I'm not knocking Forbes, but the, and this is public knowledge. Forbes isn't, Forbes what it is now is not Forbes the magazine. It's not the it's not the the outlet that back in the day wrote the article about Jordan Belfort that got featured in The Wolf of Wall Street. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. The, what it is now is, particularly the dot-com, the magazine still is that, but the dot-com runs not unlike BuzzFeed. Right. It, it's an open contributor system. The difference is that we get paid. Right. So we get paid on, based on traffic, and uh, and so the difference being that it's an invite system. You get invited in, but then you're given free reign to do whatever you want. You oh, that's cool. You want. That's very cool. So that's how I got that gig. So I wrote an article. One of the articles was eight writer producers that have not show run yet, but should be, right? right? And then I was going through the list of like the goal was like who who has been number two, who has been offered number two, and I'm like, Jose, and I, I messaged a friend, a mutual friend of ours, and he goes, Jose Molina. And I was like, oh, right. I go to your eye because I thought you had showrun. I could, I really thought everyone thinks he was like, yeah, didn't he showrun Agent Carter? Like, nope. Don't, it's like a lot of people think you've already had the job. Nope. I, I have been <laughs> the number two or number three on a lot of, uh, on a lot of shows, but I have not yet uh, sat in the big chair. So like what I, what I tend to say when I go up for showrunner jobs is I've done everything that a showrunner does. Right. I just haven't done it all at the same time. The essence of the list was, 
I'm tired. You know, every pilot season, we see the same report from Deadline in particular. There's not enough showrunners. We don't have enough showrunners right. for all the shows. And I'm like, that's because you're only hiring people that have previously showrun. Well, either that or they're you know uh, upping creators that don't have the experience that haven't come up the ranks and making them showrunners. People who are coming to TV either from features or from uh, writing plays or from other walks of life, novelists, um, and uh, and they're getting the big chair, having never done it before. Um, and inevitably, you wind up with, uh, well, not, not inevitably, right. but 90% of the time, you wind up with uh, people who don't really know how to run a show, uh, running a very chaotic well, what, show. Well, what ends up happening, too, is they end up being, the, the, I hear this saying a lot, oh, we don't have to worry about that because we'll just get a strong number two. Right. And it's like, why wouldn't you just let the strong number two be the be the showrunner and let the creator be executive producer? Then? Right. And, you know, like like that, you'd think that there's a lot, like basically number two is showrunning the show in that in those instances. Well, it's kind of like keeping the trains running and then, you know, the, the but ultimate. But that's the job. It, well, it is, but it, there's also a big creative part of the job. So, you know, there's, for me, the perfect scenario when you have an inexperienced showrunner, like somebody who is a low to mid-level writer um, or somebody who's new to TV, uh, is to you know create an equal partnership between the person who is the strong number two um, or, and the creator, and you have equal co-showrunners. But you know this is an industry that has a lot of ego, and uh, people don't like uh, splitting that duty. They want uh, they want the title for themselves, mm. um, and I get it. You know, it's you, it's your baby, and you want to protect your baby, and you don't want some random person that you just met uh, all of a sudden having a, the same amount of pull that that you do. So you know, it's tricky. But it, it, what's funny is that a lot of the times the studios and the networks don't really seem to know how the internal dynamics of a show work mm -hmm. which is crazy given the amount of, uh, of influence that they have on building that show when i hear stories and i won't i will not name the show though the show has been named on this podcast by okay. another guest um i won't name the show but there is a there's a show it's a sitcom where the writers are known to be sleeping in the writer's room like they'll bring sleeping bags to the room that's a poor that's a poor show right is that community life. It's not community. Uh, it's not. It's it's a show that's on now, but this is its last season, and I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, I'll tell you what it is after we're done recording. Yeah, but no, it's it's, like, it's terrible. It's like that's that bad. Who, it's like when you hear that kind of thing, and it's like that's a person who maybe she. And this it was. It's a show that was. It's run by a first time showrunner. Right. And it may have been, and it was their first show, and it was just like, yeah, I. Mm. No, I mean, you when you run a show, you're running a company, um, and that means that you're supposed to treat your employees the way you would if they were your employees at, you know, a Forbes 500 company. You work your hours, you go home, you have a life, and you come back. But so many people um, are slavish to the idea that the the creative vision of a writer is elusive, and it's so hard to pinpoint, and... Uh, you know, I I won't know when I have an idea. It might come to me at at two a.m. and you have to be there to help Bull me catch it. Shit. Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's get into this. So, look, shows about rewriting, and you having worked on every show ever, might have some insight to tell the people about the process of rewriting. Okay. Because there's two aspects I've come to learn since starting this show. Aspect there's there's the 
there's the classical sense everyone thinks of when they say the word the term rewriting, which is I've written the first draft, and now I'm going to get notes. I'm going to change things and right. give you a new version. But there's another thing that I've come to accept, and that's the idea of rewriting before writing. Mm-hmm. And it's this concept of the, from the moment you conceive of the idea, you're rewriting the idea. Sure. And it's I don't, I'm curious your take on all of that. Well, it's interesting because I tend to to re once I have a draft, I tend to rewrite less than a lot of people I know, and the reason for that is because it takes me a long time to crank out a draft. Like most people that you will talk to will tell you, I'll just uh, crank out a draft and spit it out. It's a vomit draft and fuck it. It'll I get. I know it'll get better. Um, and it takes me a while to, you know, I just finished a pilot um, at the end of last year that took me from fade in to fade out uh, about two months mm. to write. And it had taken me a long time, you know, just background processing the the idea. Had you outlined any of it before you went into the draft? Yes. Uh, I had uh, I had a pr- not a tight beat sheet, but I had a, a, a pretty decent document that at least told me, you know, what the scenes were, if not the necessarily the 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 connective tissue between the scenes and how you know I was building my rising action. A lot of the details, you know, I still like to find on the page, but yeah, I did not go into it blind. And I had spent, you know, this is an idea that uh, I had a few years ago, and I'd been sort of just mulling it over and mulling it over. And I don't recommend doing that. I don't is recommend spending and years. Is this the one you did with? Uh, Javi? No. No. This, this is, is an original one that I spec'd. Okay. Um, and uh, so, you know, I spend a lot of time doing kind of what you just described, having the idea, um, and it's just a kernel, and then, okay, then what is it about with the capital A? What, it, what are the characters about? Who are they? What do they want? Um, I spent, what's interesting is I just actually, what I went through was my last two scripts, because I talked... Through, because of all of this being told about how much outlining changes the process, I finally bit the bullet and taught myself how to outline uh-huh. uh, for my last two. Right. And the thing is, I wrote, I wrote a drama in a half hour. I wrote an hour and I wrote an hour long and a half hour in two months. By doing that's amazing. That. Now I had now what I always say was, I had been conceiving of the like the the, the hour long. Was a two-year-old idea. Right. This sitcom was a year-old idea. Right. Like it's not like. So they've been tumbling around. They've been tumbling around forever, and I just what I noticed is by I I did all the rewriting right, but I did it in the outline stage. Uh huh. And it just when the time I got to the script, you know, I don't. This isn't meant to sound braggy at all. Right. But it was. 57 pages in five days on the hour long simply because it was just like it's all there i it's the whole thing is there and i can and then i stole a piece of john rogers advice to me once which was chase the enthusiasm right and it's like if you've outlined properly you can write out of order and then fuck thick things fuck it gets fun right right and it's just because you know where everyone was and it's like it completely changed my concept my perceived notion of what rewriting is right well i mean the the thing with writing with every part of writing is that every writer does it um in their own way um and that's why you know javi and i do the podcast children of tendu but we tend to not really dispense a whole lot of writing advice um like we don't actually talk about the creative process of writing very much 
because we understand that it's very individual uh, and the way he does it is different from the way I do it. Like, you know, Rogers was talking about writing out of order. I would never do that. Uh, I, I could never. It's just not how my brain works. Right. Um, I didn't think my brain worked that way until I did it. it yeah. was really, it's a discovery process. And you know, that's the other thing. You try a thousand different things, and then you finally find a way that that clicks for you, and that makes you write fifty-seven pages in five days. Um, but uh, so, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to when I'm writing on spec, um, which is not often. I I try to. I try to get paid for my shit, man. <laughs> I'm too old to be doing this just for, I, for the shit dude, and giggles. I do you think I enjoy it? I like, know, I know. Look, look, <laughs> I am twenty. I'm twenty four scripts in and haven't seen a dime. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, I it's it, you know every every day is a bit of a oh god just come on give me a break. Yeah. No, we I mean not, about, we talked off mic just some of the struggles. It's just Jesus. Yeah. You know, I, I I'll I'll write a spec when when the idea is kind of. When the idea is really hard to pitch, like uh, if I have an idea for a show, I'll try to to take it out um, and you know attach some people to it and 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 not actually write the whole thing. Uh, but there's certain ideas that are so execution dependent um, and that I want to actually see. I want to to pull the idea out of my head and put it on paper, um, and that's when that's when I'll do it. But you know, I probably should do it more often because I don't have. Um, you know, as much original material out there as like someone like Javi who will crank out, uh, you know, a spec a year. Um, I haven't read the one he just put online. Action sequence? Yeah. That's all fun. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, so it sounds like what it's more like you don't want, you, like if you can get as much of the tweaking done ahead of time, you do because you don't want to have to do as much, do any extra rewriting if you don't have it's not that i don't want to do the rewriting because i will do uh rewriting and you know this spec went through a process of notes and and i did uh you know a fair amount of tweaking but i'd rather do tweaking than overhauling like i i take a long time scene to scene to scene because i want to make sure that i've that i know what i want it to be and so the process is slow like you know, I wrote 60 pages in two months or you wrote 60 pages in a week. Um, and it's it's just my own way of trying to make sure that what I write at the end of the day, I sort of think about what I did, how it turned out. And then I start to think about the next day's work and is it leading me to where I want it to be? Is it the right scene? Like I had a... I had a, a a moment during the writing where I created this character that I had envisioned being a regular in the series. Um, and the day before like this big moment, uh, happens around him. I was like, Oh wait, what this, what this scene really needs is for this character to die in that really big moment. So on, and this is why it takes me so long because I'm breaking, I'm not breaking as I'm writing, but I'm figuring out as I'm writing. Right. Um, and but you're blowing it up as you're writing. A little bit. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people that really like to have a very firm plan. I find that if I have a really firm plan, I get bored. So, uh, and the, the the flip side of that is it, it's fucking terrifying while I'm writing because I don't really know. Right. And then you have no idea if it all lines up at the end. Like, yeah. That was the that was the fascinating thing I took away from the, from the, from the last two was if it's outlined, if I, if for me. If I've outlined and I have I have it all worked out ahead of time and I start writing out of order, it all lines up. 
nothing didn't line like on the on, like when I read it back, I was like, this all lines up. This right. is all working, and I'm sh- I was shocked at how much it changed. Also, my own confidence, the confidence in my own writing, right? Which was also an interest, like because I've always had this blind young ignorance mm-hmm. about my scripts. And then I show it to someone, and then it gets destroyed. Right. <laughs> and I'm not saying that the last two didn't get notes that were like, I have questions. Right. But these last two did not get destroyed in the notes process. Right. The way the other, the old, the everything else has. Like right. It was a, right. And I was like, this is more than just me becoming more mature this is the this this i can equate this to the change in workflow right and doing and because i still rewrote and i still i did every it's like i did everything here's what it was i got way less precious about the whole thing Mm -hmm. when i was looking at it in the beat sheet outline form right it's just like i look at it going these are just random paragraphs of prose I get rid of that. Get rid of that. Move this over here. Move this here. There's suddenly less. I'm less. Yeah. Like it's not. I'm. I no longer feel like I'm throwing out a baby. Right. Once in the script. Once it reaches script stage, then it feels like I'm chucking a baby in the garbage. Sure. Yeah. It's just fuck, man. Like, do you ever get precious with it? Um. After you know, twenty five years doing this. Uh. Not. It's. It's rare. Yeah. Like you know if. It, it depends. Like being precious with a line or a moment. Uh, no, you know, if it works, great. If it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. And if two or more people tell me that it doesn't work, then I'm gonna listen to to them ninety nine times out of a hundred instead of myself. Like I had an interesting one. Like so similar to yours, I had a, I have a, I have a character, but from the beginning it was conceived that this character would die. I had a character who was, dies in my my uh, hour long pilot, uh-huh. and. I had some notes back on it, and two of the three people that read it, the first one goes, I'm not saying, I think this person has to die, but I can tell right now the first note you're going to get from like a, from anyone who would pay money for it is, does he have to die? Right. Because it was a really good character, hence why his death is so impactful. Right. Uh, then someone else goes, why are you killing them? You just gave yourself 10 episodes of story with this character, killed, have them kill themselves later, but right. suicide watch. And I was like, and I'm just like, you know, it's not, it's not as if I'm not getting similar notes in that they two, the, cause they're, the two of them are giving it to me for very different reasons. The right. one guy believes he should die, but I don't know. I don't know if he'll be able to get past the other guy's like, you should keep him alive. And it's just that, I don't know. It's just interpreting those kind of notes and then going into the rewrite. Now it's suddenly I'm precious again. Well, I mean, it's the, the killing off a character can sometimes be a really, sort of cheap and easy way to get drama uh, when you need a jolt of drama. And a lot of the times it's harder to keep the character alive and it does wind up paying off more. Like if you look at uh, ER and Lost, both had principal characters that were initially scripted as dying. Jack in Lost was supposed to die in the pilot, uh, the Matthew Fox character. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nurse Hathaway, the Juliana Margulies character, was supposed to die in ER. And they got the note back going, we need these characters. And the show is a thousand times better because those characters are in there. Breaking Bad. Yeah, exactly. That's the example. Yeah. Right? Jesse was supposed to die and then died. To hear the rest of this episode, head on over to patreon.com slash word tetris.